0: Welcome to the No Name Podcast. I am Jay, uncle Juju St. Paul. I am Ish. And I am C-Stats. We upload video versions on YouTube, which you can find on the I Am Hip Hop Magazine YouTube channel. Easiest way to search for us on YouTube is to type I Am Hip Hop, or one word, space magazine. And yes, I did say space, then magazine. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and click that notification bell as we post weekly, and it really helps with the algorithms. We hope you enjoy the show. Peace, love, and all that good stuff. Peace.
1: Peace. That's
0: dope. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the No Name Podcast. You're now in tune and locked in with the one and only Jay Juju St. Paul. I have my man...
1: Ish, what's going on, everybody? I am the CEO and founder of Dad Is Not a Now, and I'm a his hip-hop nerd.
0: <laughs> like us all. And we have the one and only Shamori Spiff, uh, owner and co-founder is it founder as well of Skyfire Productions. And we're here to break down the documentary and a little bit of his, his life and his experiences within the world of hip hop. So let's start it off. Shmori, how are you doing today, sir?
2: Doing all right. Doing all right. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely, bro. Thank you for coming on. And then also, let me break it down, too, man. This brother is like a Renaissance man, man. He is a director, he's a photographer, an artist. Uh, you can catch some of his work in the documentary on ESPN 30 for 30, the Hampton 5, which is based on uh Kevin Durant, uh Steph Curry, the the Golden State uh, era. Um, and then also he did some, he did a project with uh Kareem Abdul jabbar Um so this brother is just all over the place. So I just wanted to put that in the in the, in the, in, in the, capsule.
0: <laughs> 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 ba, 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 ba. You need to have The whole the whole mass needs to be coming off with that stuff. How about that six foot deep in Dax the door? Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes. Uh, but real fast, how were you, let's talk about that a little bit. How were you able to link up with the legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar?
2: Oh man, um, you know, it's, it's amazing how things happen sometimes. Um, I was a a visual artist for um, my entire life, and so um, it was an era, I would say um, early 2000s, where I began to um, put together these, I I was doing these athletes portraits, and it initially just started from um, sort of grew up around a culture um, like of the Oakland Raiders, so like my my dad my brother huge fans at tailgaters and um i started making these portraits for a lot of uh oakland raiders fans like of different players and i started expanding out and uh basketball stuff and um, baseball stuff other sports and um kareem was coming to the bay area for a book signing and a lot of times I would either try to get a portrait signed or, um, you know, uh, one of the things is I, I like to, you know, artists to be shared. And so I would uh, make an extra piece. If I had, you know, like, um, artwork of someone, I'd love to like share it with them if I could. And so I um, went to a book signing Karim Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and I took one of my art pieces to uh, give to him had it framed and everything and was um, you know glad to meet him and I gave him this piece of artwork and I you know I told him you know like, you're really inspiring thank you very much you know like for um, just you know like being just an all-around inspiration because he's you know, definitely someone just you know when you talk about the times now of um, you know social justice and um, just you know like be, becoming becoming um, a voice outside of basketball. Um, I was thanking him for that and I was passing off some artwork to him and uh, that was gonna be it uh, as far as I was concerned, just sharing something with someone who was an inspiration. But um, his assistant stopped me on my way out and she told me she really liked my artwork and um, he gave me her card and told me to call her and so, yeah, that was that was how I linked up with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He uh, came to the Bay Area for a book signing, and um, from there, I, you know, I reached out and we started doing projects together. And so, yeah, it was uh, probably around 2007. Um, I helped him out with uh, some ads for his book on the shoulders of giants, and I created, I put together the. Um, the the graphic design for his audio book that was a a, a series of I believe, the eight volumes. So it was a huge, huge project um, that took a, a lot almost like a year, I would say maybe a year and a half um, to design. And so yeah, um, not to mention, you know, I like just a bunch of I did a bunch of artwork over that time too. So uh, it was probably relationship that i had with kareem um from maybe 2007 to about 2011 wow that's dope!
0: and did i hear that right They said it took you a year and a half to get that complete that project
2: yes, yeah so and a half. was that just, so
0: that must have been a hell of revisions
2: <laughs> uh, like you i believe and you know it one of the one of the um big things at that time it was the first time that I had ever worked in a, in an environment where I, I did not they were in Los Angeles, and I was in Oakland. And, you know, just for um, purposes of people just understanding like that is, you know, an hour and a half flight away, and, um, or a six hour drive. So this is all done, you know, via technology at this time. And so I'm emailing files that are huge <laughs> for that time. You know, it's like Yeah. I you know, like now it's like that's a it's a regular thing now to send files back and forth, you know, to anyone anywhere. But at that time, mm. you know, I was really, you know, like with my laptop and these large Photoshop files and I was, you know, like emailing back and forth and they were that they, they they were really small changes and they were all times of the day and night. So like, you know, I, I was, I was past the dial up. Like I had something stronger than dial up internet at the time, but mm. it was definitely still, um, very hard to, uh, work in that way just because of, mm. you know, like how it, it, it was just, you know, it was a, a futuristic sort of environment where like, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, I really wish that I had the technology that we have now for back then. For you know, all of the revisions, it was you know like day and night around the clock. Um, I get phone calls at any time of day, three three in the morning. I get a call from his assistant, and, and she would say, you know, yeah, um, we like what you did. is you know his foot moved a, a half inch over, and we need that immediately. And, you know what I mean? So it's like that sort of. Thing.
0: Oh, I and know. She was
2: dead. <laughs> yeah, she was dead serious. Too. Yeah, it was. It was a great uh, experience. Although, just um, Kareem was uh, amazing to work with, and um, you know, it's one of those one of those things I'll never forget. You know, like just to have an opportunity like that. Um, yeah, a project that had so much substance uh, to be a part of. That. It's just amazing.
1: Definitely, yeah, and then also, how did you? and then how were you able to get your artwork in the documentary um 3430
2: 30, the hampton five okay so the there so i let me uh, clear it up so the, okay uh, <laughs> so i have a i have a photograph that ran in a 30 for 30 um and it was uh it was a, a photograph of tiki barber so like um you as a as a photographer you never know where you where you may end up or why, you know something may become valuable or sought after, whatever the you know however you want to look at it. So I had a photograph that ran in a thirty for thirty uh, about Tiki Barber and his his brother uh, Rondé Barber, and um, it's a photograph I took while I was in New York at an event um, working with Cece Sabathia, and yeah. You know it, was a, it just happened to be some rare photo that did that had all of tiki Barber's kids with him in it like no one had a photo i guess of tiki barber with all his children and so um it ended up in the 30 for 30 that ran i would say probably in wow maybe 2014 2015 and at around that time um and with the with the uh hamptons five portraits, those are currently hanging in the new Chase Center in San Francisco where the Warriors are now playing, um, you know, being a, a native of Oakland. They were, you know, in Oakland for uh, 40 plus years, like my mm. entire life. And, um, you know, it's tough to see them go across the bridge there, um, you know, still here in the Bay, but it's it's tough to see them leave your hometown. town. But, um, selected as one of the artists who um, was able to display artwork inside of uh, the New Chase Center over in San Francisco.
1: Wow! Wow,
0: that's, that's amazing. amazing. And also, just to touch on another thing, to anyone who doesn't work in graphic design, like obviously, like you, like you do, I do. Them revisions are no joke. I'm sorry, I just had to put that in there. When you work with certain people, <laughs> that, that 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 will take that will consume your life. <laughs> it takes yeah. a lot, but I know you massive props for that i'm working with such legends sorry i just had to stick that in there just for footnotes it it,
2: (laughs) it is a a real thing but it's you know like when that um when when that product is done and um you know you you get to to see it and share it with the world it's amazing um Mm. you know so it's a that it's that labor of love i i know that um there, I don't know if there isn't one graphic designer that is not a very, very patient person. It takes so much patience. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: <so.
0: laughs> now when you put it like that, actually, I need to give myself more props now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, like you you know.
1: have but you, you, you but you, you, you talk about when um the Warriors moved to the new stadium. Um, I think the one thing that's kind of been kind of Underneath the surface is um, gentrification. Um, you know, being a part of the Bay all your life, how has that kind of hurt when it comes to the the historic?
2: Yeah. path of the,
1: of the Bay. You want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this is this is definitely I, I think more so than I've seen in my lifetime here in Oakland um there has been you know a huge influx in you know just the 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 property va- values have gone up to a just a, a ridiculous rate where it's like i mean if you think about you know we're in this pandemic now but if you think about um how how a company like you know, Google can affect an area, how a company like Yahoo can affect an area. Um, Mm -hmm. We have Apple, there's Pixar, that we have, we have all of these um, Instagram. There there are so many large tech companies here that, you know, their money is flowing like other industries aren't at this time. And so Mm. they are. You know, not only in the South Bay, where they, you know, like Facebook. How do I? I how can I forget Facebook? So Facebook is here also, <laughs> um, and you know, like all, all of these companies have a bunch of employees, and they're they're moving into the more popular areas. So you know, predominantly, the the sort of nexus of that is San Francisco. Um, which also, you know, I like can cross the bridge and then we're there, we're in Oakland. And so they're buying up property and it's like the the property values are ridiculous. I mean, like rent is ridiculous here. And it's all from that boom. Like there, there's been, I don't know how many dot-com booms they call, you know, the dot commerce. And so and this has been happening, uh, you know, we've watched this happen. Wow, I would say since the late 90s, where um, and this is a time where I was coming out of college. And uh, that that sort of transition from um, doing doing things digital digitally started happening. And yeah, all of the all of the neighborhoods that you would consider you know, like and I, I won't say all of them but a lot of the neighborhoods that you would consider no fly zones where it's like you know you know what goes on in that area and you
0: mm. you're
2: wise probably not to cross through there now um we are seeing people that you wouldn't usually see there and um you know people are knocking down houses and rebuilding something on you know the land of the you know the, the areas that were there so like people are being pushed out to these other areas outside of places like Oakland or San Francisco and they're um, living in these suburbs now and it's um it's just a weird dynamic because um that for for those who can do that, you know, I guess you consider them fortunate, but then like the, the homelessness here is beyond um, anything that um, I've seen ever, um, people are displaced in a way that I haven't seen. It's a huge <laughs> divide because there are those who have, and then there are definitely those that do not. Um, oh. It's a huge gap um, between the two. It's a, it, it it's almost like there's, there's a. a a small community of those who you would consider to be in the middle. It's like right. people who have and people who just absolutely do not have. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a tough dynamic here, for sure. Um, very, very expensive place to live. If you um, are not someone who has come from uh, deep roots in the area, for sure.
1: But do, at the same time, do you feel like you're kind of losing the that the uh, the culture and the historical um, landmarks in a you way because
2: it is so that that's something that I experience when I go other places. So like with California, and and this is this is another thing that's really interesting. Like with California, it a lot of times you will find that there isn't that um, that want or that need to preserve. A building or a landmark, like you see um, in other countries and even other parts of the United States. Um, you know, it's just it's amazing. Like I'm so like I'd say in London, you know, you can find you know like places where that were affected by the war, or and 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 really kind of have an understanding around the landscape here in California, for sure, you know, like anything from, wow, my goodness, it's so it's so hard to get a grasp of what was once here because things are knocked down and rebuilt so often. Um, And a a lot of that is, you know, because of earthquakes, you know, like 1906 earthquake, 1989 earthquake, where um, things just completely are collapsed and they have to rebuild anyway. And so um, sometimes it's uh, that's that's part of it. But like just the the history sometimes gets lost when those sorts of things happen. But culturally, my goodness, um, you know, every place grows and changes over time. But I think that um, there there's a definite change in the culture and, but because because i i'm from here i know where to find it and i think that's the thing it's like if you are if you are coming from the outside you come to the bay area you come to oakland and you're looking to find um where the culture lives it would be very very tough to uh, happen upon it uh, probably the best way to put it you have to know someone you have to know where to go where to be um to go and experience some of some of the culture that you may um, be more familiar with on the outside for sure Um, it's tough but it's still here it's definitely still here but it's um, it's harder to find for sure
1: definitely and then also you know harlem had its renaissance brooklyn had its renaissance if you go back to the days of spike lee do the right thing. You have so many artists that came from that time in Brooklyn and then Oakland, you know, the Bay Area had their renaissance, which I would say like, I would say like early nineties cause you had great writers, you had great poets, you started seeing rappers come in the scene. So it's time to have some, a little nostalgia a little bit. Let's go back a little bit. So um, like talk about your introduction to hip hop at an early age and how like, how it influenced you in, in your work today
2: wow um you know well it's my introduction to hip-hop was definitely at its very very beginning um it's you know so just with the rich culture that exists in oakland california um you know like it goes very very far back but i think like for for me and my influences definitely um you know like it, it comes through uh um just the 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 time of my parents generation just when it comes to like uh, the influences that sort of um, fed into what what led to our generation. So you know it's the, it's the, um, the Black Panther party and, and that movement um, and how uh, we there's a, a sort of a, a culture of resistance to and just speaking out about what you believe in here in the Bay Area. And so um, that was, I think, the one of the first, uh, you know, just the the idea of you know, like being proud of who you are, I think, um, was a huge influence on our generation coming behind them. Um, but you, you talk about my introduction to hip-hop. It was uh, at the very beginning. I. I heard hip hop. I always say I, I grew up alongside it. Um, born in 1975, um, you know. You talk about August 11, 1973. I'm, you know, hip hop's little brother, um, right? It's like that that whole notion. Um, and so it's a it's 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 amazing to sort of experience this thing that is is done. For someone like someone that you, someone like you, and then done, it's it's like in, incredible to experience it. Like we were in, in Oakland, we were getting things. I think a little bit later. Um, so like I'm I'm you know trying to remember as much as I can. Like I had an older brother who uh, my, my brother's eight years older than me. And so um, he was fully in the mix of whatever was going on, and was bringing those things home, you know. So he'd have tapes of, you know, like I, I, I remember I think the first time I ever heard any sort of hip hop of any kind was the Funky Four Plus One, and uh, mm-hmm. it was, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was like that. That was it's like the very beginnings. Of it, um, it about as early as I think you can get it on the West Coast, probably. Um, and so, you know, just from from that that on, you know, so Curtis Blow, Sugar Hill Gang, uh, Treacherous Three, just the that whole movement um, of things just sort of uh, coming along. And it, and and early on, it's like you know, you never you didn't get to even even know what they look like which was amazing like to n- not know what you know like your favorite artist looked like i had no idea um what Kumo d looked like until like, <laughs> like maybe uh maybe like I, I later on i realized he was beach street um but i didn't know what he looked like until he did his solo stuff really and then saw beach street again and was like oh wow that was Kumo d the whole time like um but yeah, like you didn't get to really experience certain um, certain things in the culture until a little bit later. But like, yeah, it was my introduction to hip hop. I was hooked immediately though because I knew that it was um, it was a culture that was made by people like me and, and for someone like me. So like as a child, I was immediately
0: hooked.
1: That's dope. dope. Juju, Take over, brother. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a strong tone, man. I'm like, right, I'm, I'm just sucked into the story, like the same way I did I did with you of Rahim, man. All right, well, no, you've definitely given me, you've definitely given me a, um, a few bits. That I'm definitely interested in. So, um, hip hop being a massive influence on your life, which, um, which, like I suppose all of us here, um, it has been, and moved us. But what, I'm, what, what was it, it growing up? What was it that started to, you know, gear yourself towards art? Where was it that you started to realize you had a flair and it's something that you enjoyed as a passion and wanted to take further?
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, just um, with the arts in general. And I can I, I consider, you know, like, almost every anything that uh, I output as a part of the arts, um, you know, be it film, uh, visual art, um, fooling around with sound of any kind. Um, it, it found me, though, which was, you know, kind of, it, it's, it's crazy like how you know um sometimes your calling is your calling it found me and um i've never let it go since i you know i had influences um from family members and from you know like friends in school um and you know like when you're at at a very young age you are encouraged in the areas of the arts and that was um sort of how it happened for me just you know like discovering tools and um drawing was one of the hmm. first things and it was something I could do at any time and it was you know like also something that was considered acceptable you know like um there's you know something I can do almost any time and uh discovering it and, and drawing and just a, it's sort of, it's sort of like it's sort of like a fourth therapy for me almost. Um, it's like <laughs> journeying to a place um, that uh, is indescribable. It's really, really tough. Uh, but when it found me, I knew that it was uh, a journey I wanted to take. Um, I love the process of creating things. And uh, I, I discovered that first through drawing. And so growing up, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I, I think, you know, like with music. With music and and the culture of hip hop being around, um, it was a, just those those notions of creativity. Um, one thing feeds another, and so like you know those things would reflect in my artwork. So like you know, even I'd say, oh, wow, like I I was like I would say like my frustration job, which is crazy, but like my first. <laughs> <laughs> Real official like illustration job. Um, I was asked in the I was in the ninth grade, and uh, a teacher. I I drew so much like I, had, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, literally during my lunch times at because I went to a crazy middle. They call it middle school now here in the Bay, but it was a junior high back in. But I spent so much time drawing that I was given a case, like one of the glass cases in the um, (laughs) hallway to display my work because I was always drawing. So like, um, so I had this glass case, like whenever I was done with work or whatever, like I would put, I would display my work inside of this. But like, um, my one of my teachers approached me about um, doing a bunch of drawings for uh, my ninth grade book and I did a bunch of you know like just with all the slang words of the time the fashion of the time so like everyone's got like high top fades wearing polka dots like it's like <laughs> the Kwame era um, yes. during that time <laughs> and um, you know we're so we we wore Nike Cortez um, acid wash overalls and polka dot shirts you know and we had lines in our you know in high top fade like so like i'm drawing these pictures like we're and so it's like it's really cool to kind of look back on that like that was like one of my first you know like just sort of initial art jobs where it was like you know like feeling like i'm a working artist like preparing something for print um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, like the it so the 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 culture of the area always reflected in whatever work I was doing, and um you know there was a there was a huge um, music and and dance and um, and revolutionary culture um, in Oakland, like growing up for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. So touching on that as well, so um because you you know so you mentioned you were born in seventy five, so that's going up from 75 up to where we are now there's a lot of major changes that happen to a, especially in the stateside within black communities um and as we know the crack and cocaine uh, epidemic and all of the like as well especially considering that you are on the west coast as well so close to that that hollywood that la that that lifestyle where all of that stuff was pretty much going on anyway so what was it like other than you know your art as your release what was it like for yourself growing up through um in oakland through
2: seventy five, you know, through to yeah, like the nineties um, and 50s. so it's yeah. So um, wow, it was so for sure. I mean, like, I and I, I'll start by saying this, um, like, just in growing up in that time, like, we in in the Bay Area, our we don't we we don't have a gang culture. Like Los Angeles does. our our gang culture was different um. growing up um, within the black community. So like in the black community, it was it was about like neighborhoods, more so than colors. Um, so like you know a, a street, one street would not get along with another street, but um, you wouldn't be immediately identified by what color you had on. like that was definitely more um, Southern California. When it comes to the uh, when it comes to the Black community, the African American community, um, the color thing came along in the Latin community a little later in the Bay Area, but um, yeah, for for us, you know, it was it was really really interesting, like to experience, you know, I would say when I was in elementary school. Oakland was a very different place to me um and when crack hit it I saw the community deteriorate um in a way that you know like I just it, it's so hard to explain but it was like you know like the the businesses that were thriving in East Oakland just uh, you know like they were closing and people were like areas became so much more dangerous it was like like this was this was also a time where like you know i remember experiencing like my it's a shame i have to say it like this but it was like the first Uh shooting i ever experienced was probably when i was maybe in the second grade
0: um so how how old was that for us in the uk
2: so it yeah, so that would, so that would, I was in second grade probably around 1982, and so, um, you know, seven. like, just, wow, yeah, so I was about seven years old, um, and I'll, I, and I'll start just by saying, like, I was definitely, um, I grew up in an area that was not dangerous, which I'm super fortunate for that, but, um, you know, we 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 were in a dangerous city. And you know, if you wanted to do what and so I I was fortunate, like at seven, I would say I was fortunate to experience a lot of things through my brother and sister who were eight and nine when I was born. So like, you know, at the age of seven, my my brother's fifteen, my sister sixteen, and they couldn't do a lot of things without taking me along it was like you know you want to do that you got to take your brother like that kind of thing
0: <laughs> and so
2: um you know luckily I wasn't in a lot of trouble you know like I I would I followed directions I didn't wander very much that kind of thing um and so uh, my brother and sister had no problem taking me wherever they went but because of that, and through that, I experienced a lot of culture earlier than um, my peers. So, like at seven, you know, I'm at the skating rink with my brother and sister at night. You know, on a Saturday night, and uh-huh. you know, I'm hearing all of the the music of that time. So, if you think about '82, oh, we're we listening oh, wow. to Message, and um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like yeah. So these and these are things that these are things that. Um, you know I'm um, experiencing, but yeah, at, at that time, crack crack has hit, and you know this is the 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 era of a uh, very famous drug dealer of our our area, um, Felix Mitchell, who um, mm. he was he was someone who uh, I I have heard I don't know if it's fact or not, but he had an operation that was very similar to what happened in the movie New Jack City. And so, um, he ran the 69th Village Projects, and it was sort of like uh, the the concept of what the Carter was in um, Hmm. the movie New Jack City from 1991 with Wesley Snipes. Um, And he had a full-on operation where, um, you know, he was moving crack, and it was spreading all throughout everywhere. And so um yeah, during that time you start to see a change. And so there was the the first time I ever experienced a a shooting uh, was at the age of seven. And um it was after a night at the skating rink and uh, was with my brother and everyone would go to uh, there was an AM PM that sat on uh I think it was like Foothill and 106 um in east oakland and uh all the all the kids that had gone skating were there either you know like everyone's hanging out they're grabbing something to drink and some snack because that's probably the only thing open and, and we're waiting on my mom to uh pick us up and um yeah out of nowhere i mean like you know there's girls out there there's you know like the whole thing and so you know like somebody drives by and they just start shooting and then for i No, and everyone starts running and that was the first time um like for me that i realized that um you know like there's there's a a, i had to be aware of you know like there there were environments where i could be unsafe and i didn't know that before like i hadn't experienced any of that and i hadn't um so i you know like that was uh definitely eye-opening but it was a change like from that point on you know that's how you know more and more progressively especially moving in my teenage years that's how that's how functions ended was either through a shooting or an altercation or the police broke it up um but it was never like okay party's over everyone go home see you next time it was never like that um mm. and i think that crack had a lot to do with that um and so you talk about the effects of, of the crack era in the bay area like i know when once i once i got to like junior high school of which was uh you would say uh, wow maybe like 1986 i'm entering in so like 86 through uh, 89 90. um and this was the seventh eighth and ninth grade for me I was experiencing, I was experiencing other students and children who were going home to parents who were either absent on crack, you know, like they had, they had adult problems and they were kids, you know, like, um, and so I, I was, you know, very naive of these things, uh, beforehand because I was fortunate to come from, um, a family that was intact, um, And, you know, hard working parents who, um, you know, kept me from those things. And so um, to experience that and to see that was very, very eye opening to um, have crack just sort of invade the community was it was horrifying, really, to see it happen.
0: Well, yeah, man, I mean, we can can definitely tell from all of the um, from, you know, from the documentaries and such that you come across that it was definitely something vile but to think like you know the age of seven and that's the first time you know you realize that you know there goes the neighborhood like legitimately that's i couldn't even you know fathom that to be honest with you but then again you know born in 85 by the time i've come of age you know here in the uk crack is that you know it's just as dangerous as it is anywhere in the world that you you know you come across it so but skipping the needle so how so what because of your documentary uh the tall infinity of the you know souls of mischief um was it the case that you knew them personally because being in the oakland area or was it something you know did you were you just connected through friends of friends or was it just because they're from oakland that you created it or were they your your peers at one particular point
2: uh yeah i they they are my peers i've um throughout my entire life i've been um I've known them from day one. So I was yeah, so it's um uh, grew up in the same neighborhood with uh with Hiro. But um you know just when I say day one it like it's absolutely from day one because um Festo uh, D's dad and my father were best friends. And mm. so um Meaning, like you know, like they they were each other's best man in each other's weddings. Like they were like best friends, and um, we were, you know, like Festo D and I, like virtually, like at, at a very young age, were sort of like kind of grew up like cousins early, early on. Um, in that, you know, like if our fathers are hanging out. And they're like, okay, you guys go out and play. They're playing dominoes and, drinking <laughs> and having a good time, you know, that kind of thing. And so um, so like from very, very early on um, and uh, elementary school, I was so like, you know, we were all in the same neighborhood and also like in elementary school, I remember meeting um, A plus in the fourth wow. grade. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah he's and he's the same person to this day you know like he's um <laughs> like a plus has always been the same um just uh but he was he was the first he was like uh as a child he spoke like an adult like crazy like i always tell him that like i always bugged out on like how you know like he was just i mean like a plus is not it like it's not just a name like he really got good grades you know <laughs> like he was the smartest kid i knew when i met him um <laughs> but um yeah so we were all I've I've known the guy from Hyro um very, very early on and uh you know came to know all, as the, the crew was formed like it when I say the crew, like as people know them today, um Hyro was a, a, a very large group of friends, you know, like you have um, mm-hmm. people who are either from certain neighborhoods or hang out with certain people from certain schools um, there was a, they were a part of a, a group of, of friends that, um, you know, I would hang with from time to time. And, um, yeah, so I was around them and got a chance to see them develop from very early on. Um, you know, when I, I've mentioned, uh, A plus, like Adam was always like, I mean, very, like, just serious, like, he would never say, I'm going to be a rapper. He always say, I am a rapper. Like, and we would, we were in, you know, <laughs> junior high and he's like, I, am, I, I'm a rapper now. And it, you know, like, and people thought he was absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, but he was dead serious. Like that was his, that was what he was, uh, going to do. And, um, yeah i so i had a chance to watch them develop over time like i I definitely listened in on many a cipher um you know (laughs) during school after school um but it was it was it was a cool thing to watch them develop because they were so far ahead of you know like we had the culture of um sort of doing it yourself like through too short like seeing too short do his thing and that was we were kids, and Too Short had tapes, and you know, like he was he was releasing music, um, when we were growing up, and selling it out of his trunk beforehand, like before you know, like being on television and everything. We were experiencing Too Short through the tapes that were circulating around um, Oakland, and you know, like of course, again through my brother. I got that experience because he is uh, a little younger than too short, but close, like in his age group. And so, you know, he was bringing those things home and like to hear that stuff as a kid. Like, oh my God, no, like no other rap. You know, like he's, he's rapping about things that you just didn't hear other rappers rapping about. You know, like, um, so it was, it was distinct. But and I think that we all like, uh, you know, those in Oakland from our my generation, um, like born in the 70s, definitely um, were influenced by it was the it was the music of our area. Um, and we didn't. Too Short was it. We didn't experience and and Hammer came along a little bit later on, but like um, we didn't experience like E-40 is, is synony- synonymous with the Bay also. But he came along, I, I know for for us maybe 89 or 90 where he was like you know it definitely prominent on the scene like but before that it was like too short and um yeah it was it was too short it was too short early but that influence was there so see high do what they were doing like it was they were making music in their basements um and that was like no one was doing that except too short you know what i mean like we didn't know of anyone else who was like really like serious but they were so much did like they just to be clear like like the cats and school were like unique individuals like um like they dressed different from everyone else they like they they stood out especially like you know moving into like the high school years like um they were they were um, like, so they were celebrities walking around on campus almost like, um, because you know, Dale was a little bit older than us and, and um, there was always like this talk of like, oh yeah, like he's related to Ice Cube, put music out. And like, there was just always this sort of talk and then it happened. Mm. So like in 91, it happens, right? Yeah. And you know, like 1991, I am in the 10th grade. So if you think about that, that you know, like most of the guys in Hyrule were like maybe a year or two uh, ahead of me. So like, mm-hmm. casual still at school with me. Um, Opio's still at school with me. Pep is still at school with me. You know, like I I think Pep may have come in the 12th grade, but like um, we're all at Skyline. And most oftentimes, like a lot of the lunch times, like they would have the sound system, they would pull out on Fridays, and it was sort of like an open mic. So they put some, they put a beat on, and they just let whoever, you know, wanted to rhyme, they let them rhyme. Or like um, we have like these, you know, like cool lunch times. And whenever whenever Hiro did anything, they were, I mean, it was like a real show, you know, <laughs> like watching. A- <laughs> yeah. real show um and I I really you know like now thinking about it I really because like I was learning about television production from the 10th grade on up and um I taped I I videotaped a lot of the football games I I had permission like from the you know I was at a a student-run television station and so I'd have access to this equipment but I and so I would get a hold of cameras like television production cameras to like film our football games our basketball games and some of our like assemblies. Mm. but i really wish i would have like videotaped some of these lunch times but it was just like something that happened (laughs) every friday you know like it was the it was the norm um but they were like at that time they were already on television they were in dale's videos so like Um. you know dale had his first album out and um you know the the guys I grew up with, the guys who were, you know, in these videos and and you know on burnt, they're they're walking the campus <laughs> of my high school. Um, so yeah, it was it was cool to watch them develop, That's for sure. But I I had a a, a unique, a unique perspective, um, just watching them develop.
0: I dope. Still- I mean, because I'm um, just because obviously we've got you here. The whole I'm interested in the whole hieroglyphics thing because I mean now more so than I suppose, especially here in the, on this side of the pond, um, there's a big more push towards of getting in back in touch with your roots and you know connecting with the ancestors. There seems to be a lot that becomes it's come now more on pop culture for us within our community to sort of look into that. But who's I mean, what whose idea was it to call you guys like hiero hieroglyphics and to take that kind of whole you know Egyptian vibe and then say yo this is what we're gonna be
2: so um as i understand it so i should i should make it clear i'm i'm not a member of the horrifics crew yeah um they are they're definitely close friends i had a chance to um you know watch their development um and so as i understand it just because i i learned a lot about them that i didn't know um just doing these films and i was sick yeah yeah so you know because i mean like how often do you sit down and interview your friends you know like you just kind of (laughs) know what you know about them and that's that but um i from what i understand the name hieroglyphics came um from dale i believe um and you know they had a, a number of names but i think hieroglyphics was the one that stuck and You know, like, they're they're a crew that, I mean, like, if you ever hang out, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to, like, you know, hang out in a room with them, but um, they are very forward-thinking, very, um, you know, like, they they think outside of the box a lot of times. And so, um, you know, I'm almost certain that that was how their name came about, was um, just sort of thinking uh thinking you know recognizing the past but thinking towards the future um Mm. because they're always sort of pushing the envelope with ideas and um you know just outside of outside of music they inspire um thought for me around so many different things you know just like recommending you know certain books to read or um you know just they've always been like forward thinkers and um i'm sure that's where that came from uh, just super super innovative creative guys
1: yeah talking about innovation uh uh like seeing through the future the beautiful thing beautiful thing about the about the group is is that they were like the first uh uh rap group to have a dot com when the dot com first um exploded for um some, That's what um, I'm
2: Well, yeah, this is and this. That's a prime example of what I'm talking about. Like, um, it's they're They're not afraid to take a chance. And um, they've been uh, always sort of at the especially uh, like with technology. They were one of the first for sure to understand the power of the Internet. And, um, you know, like when when they when they split from uh, their respective major labels, they were in a position where they said okay we can either sign with another label or Mm -hmm. we can start to reach out with to the fan base that we have uh, created through the internet and to understand that in the mid 90s is pretty remarkable because um, the the industry that exists now is you know it, it didn't exist then so you know to to say let's go independent and reach our fans directly because we have this internet as you know this internet tool that exists it's like that's that's very very forward thinking because no one's doing it at the time um i i believe they they say that it is said that naughty by nature may have had a website around the same time you know we're thinking like maybe it's probably like late 96 early 97 um, you know it's up for debate, but um, yeah, one of the first for sure.
1: Definitely, and quick, can you uh? Because I think people that's um that want to sign to major labels, it's important that I bring this out there. Because I think the one thing you put in the documentary that was really important about Social Mistress Mistress is when they were trying to, when they were trying to be signed to different labels, can kind of talk about that importance of what they did and what they were able to accomplish that no other uh, acts were able to get in their contract. Can you talk about that?
2: Oh, yeah. So um, they were they were able to secure their publishing um, and huh. they they own their publishing for um, this is something that uh, apparently Jive never did just from doing the interviews um, about this jive never. Um, signed away the publishing to anything for anyone, you know, so not Britney Spears, not, you know, NSYNC or Justin Timberlake. No, no one else ever had this. And um, you know, it was I, I think that they were they were at the forefront of understanding ownership and not just being happy about um being put on like it's like you know everyone wants to get on and, and uh have this opportunity but they understood that in the long run they were going to need to have some sort of ownership around their material and um i think that uh opio's you know, stepfather who lawyer he was a, uh, I i think a, a big part of that negotiation michael ashburn um, who was already uh, cemented in uh, the industry? He was uh, someone who probably was perfect for them just to negotiate a deal like that. And uh, yeah, they they got what they wanted. I think you know, like it's it's a, a historic thing because now I think you hear a lot of artists talking about only their publishing and their masters and. Um, just ownership in general of uh you know their creative property but Mm. in you know in 1992 there wasn't a lot of talk of that at all yeah so and And that's
1: important not not daylight not tribe no popular group at that time had that kind of deal that they had and like you said they were trailblazers um when it comes to the business side of uh hip-hop
2: yeah yeah, for sure, and 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 that continues. Um, I, you know, just with just with dealing with them, they've they've always got, you know, uh, they've always got some new ideas. Some um, like Cas just started this this uh, virtual movie theater, you know, like it's
0: oh, sick.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's pretty incredible. Like you know how they've been able to uh, sort of stay at the forefront of what may be coming next, you know. Um, and it's, it's a great uh, it's a great inspiration, I think, just for for anyone. You know, who may mm. be looking to um, get their creative um, content out, you know, it's, it, they, you can look to these guys and figure out how to uh, protect your content for sure.
0: Oh, for real, for real. Like I say to anyone creative, man, your you're only worst enemy is yourself most time out of 10. Put it out there until you get the feedback, you won't know. Um, but also, touching on yeah. the docus, that's quite a thing that's quite interesting is how you put this um, is that. Well, one, what was it? I mean, like you said, you wished back in high school that you did record the, um, the side, the Friday, the Every Friday ciphers, um, which would have been dope. Just as that sort of, you know, for me being just a hip hop geek all the way through and through, just to watch them pre ciphers would have been dope. Um, so was that part of the encouragement of where you started to take the footage? Because there's a lot, I mean, you've got like artists like Fife Dog, you've got Prodigy that, you know, say they're two little pieces, so are at rest and power to the, you know, to to the gods themselves. And I mean, you've an array of so many dope artists who are just shouting out you know the power um you know souls of mischief and you know and your friends have actually delivered so that's one half of the question and the second half of the question is like you said what was it like interviewing your friends because you know them so for you that must have been a bit of a different way of approaching this
2: yeah yeah so um just for that first part you know it's really um you know it's crazy like <laughs> That so. Sorry about that,
1: guy. No, that's okay. Don't
2: worry just about it. Okay, so like, um, yeah, with, with till infinity, um, you know, there were that I wanted to capture time, um, I you know, like there's this that you know, like the, the your coming of age time is always um sort of a special time no matter you know like whenever you're born around the around the time of you know like um you're like a young adult you're a you know a teenager sort of entering into your 20s um that time you're just sort of coming into your own and for me 1993 mm-hmm. was that time um i was 18 in 1993 uh, class of 1993 out of high school and um, the fall of 93, I was entering into art school, into art college. And so, um, 93 to Infinity was my soundtrack for that. Um, so it, it holds a, it's a it's a special time for me just because of, you know, kind of entering into the world around that time. Um, and just in, in hindsight, like, yeah, I was, I videotaped a lot of things. And, you know, like I, I even have some of the footage from um, that time, like I'd say, I like an interview I did with uh, with A Plus from 1995 Mm. that made it into Till Infinity. And so while I didn't have the presence of mind in high school to record the ciphers um, a little bit later on, I definitely, and I think it was just from my influence of being around, um, you know, students from all over the world, uh, like, you know, just, the 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 kids I hung around with in uh, art school were a big influence on just understanding the the value of documenting things um understanding that the the time that we were in was a special one and that um we should record our movement you know because when when you are just when you're accustomed to hanging out with a group of people, you don't necessarily just pull out a camera and start recording everything that they do, you just hang like you always hang. Um, but there, but being in art school, I, re- I recognized that um, not everyone at that time had access to the type of equipment I had access to, and um, not everyone was learning how to video edit like it, you know, like now you can video edit on your phone, but at the time when I was learning the, the early uh, the things I was learning for uh, just around television production and film production, that wasn't a regular thing, um, wasn't a day-to-day, it, like, it. you know, this was exclusive, kind of like you had to know someone or be a part of a program to learn how to video edit or to learn how to do, like, um, the things I was learning, and so I did recognize that. And I started, I started videotaping different things that, um, you know, whatever was going on. And uh, yeah, some of it made it into, some of it made it into the uh, <laughs> the documentary, which is kind of cool, you know, because yeah. when, when I shot some of that stuff, I had no real, you know, like I, I may have had a project in mind for it, but you know, like. In 95, I can I can say, like, yeah, I started shooting Till Infinity in 1995, really, um, because I did, you know, a couple of interviews with some guys, I you know, like, I would take a camera to KMEL, and, um, you know, I do, uh, you know, I like got videotaped away doing his show um, every once in a while, you know, like, it was just the environment that I was in and the, and the group of, uh, you know, kids I was around at that time and and you know like i'm i'm glad that i did decide to do that you know ultimately to turn the camera on and then you know like to talk about moving on into the film and um and and just you know with how the the culture evolved and and sort of expressing i, I really wanted people to kind of understand mm-hmm. what it was like for us growing up in the area we grew up in, and um, how Hyro became the group they became and why they made the music they made. Um, because we were from a very unique pocket in um, Oakland, and you know, it was where we were, you know, we we're all from pretty intact families where like, you know, you talk about, you know, having parents who were hardworking and um, they, we we were uh you know, we had good Christmases you know what I mean like that kind of thing yeah um just the the basics nothing over the top nothing any, but like you know we were we were from good households and uh-huh. um had educated parents and it was a, a huge piece in the development because if you think about some of the stories that i I, I tell until in infinity it's like, you know, you have to think about what parents, who who would actually let the 13-year-old go to Los Angeles to record a demo? Sure. You know, like, it's like if, you know, if you're thinking about, like, a, a parent that, you know, that, that kind of understands the arts or, uh, like, I, you know, like I I don't know my mother would, like, oh, yeah, mom, I have some friends who make music, in LA and and they want to record a rap i wrote and i'm 13 telling my mom like i don't even know if my mother was ready that um, <laughs> but like you know so so like you know when you think about that it's pretty incredible that um you know and i'm and i and i know uh, i know some of the guys parents and like yeah i, I totally i totally get like how their development uh, happened but it was a it was a special time for sure um, because I think that areas of hip hop were being explored in a way that um, that was still new in a sense it was it was fresh new and exciting at that time um, and it was a great feeling to kind of you know like what what was gonna be coming next and at that point at that time in 1993 they were they were next um and that was you know like incredible to see you know like these guys that i grew up with on mtv and bet and the box you know like (laughs) crazy
1: and and real fast you know we we got to give people their flowers while they're alive talk about the impact to me i felt like on the bay side i think uh Tech, uh, Sway and Tech are the Dr. Dre and, and, and Ed Lover on the Bay side. Can you kind of talk about the impact they made on the Bay, but just in hip hop in general?
2: Yeah, um, Sway was huge. Like he was so like I I do remember also he was a he was one of those pe- people who sort of had like this. I mean, you know, he's from Oakland, but he, he's, and he still is, he's this way to this very day. Um, he just, he has this open door policy. Like he doesn't put too much on anything. It's like, if you are, if you're serious about what you're, what you're doing, you know, like he doesn't have a problem with opening up um, that door for you. Um, and it's amazing. Like his just, he he was on the radio um, at a time where you didn't hear a lot of hip hop on the radio, um, but he had a radio show like we we had radio shows. So, like, um, they were all college radio. So you talk about uh, Kevi Kev, DJ Kevi Kev. Uh, he's from New York, but and I uh, there's a couple of Kevi Kevs, with the, the Bay Area, Kevi Kev, K- KBSU Stanford. Um, and he had a show called the drum that ran from wow in 1981 82 uh, all the way on until 2000 and something i mean like has to be the longest running hip-hop show um, on the radio for sure um and um you can catch him on instagram now doing a, the 2.0 version of it um and uh, that's that's my people um but then also uh you had jvd who was doing something at uh CalEx. but like you didn't like on on kmel like that's like the the major radio station here so like um to have sway on the radio playing like what you would consider like real hip-hop you know what i mean like mm-hmm. like There was there was sort of a on the surface hip hop that was getting play here and there, maybe, but like a real hip hop show that played everything that you loved and enjoyed just not not just the surface stuff. Um, This is who Sway was and um, he was super cool just with like, I mean, like if you had some sort of connection with him. um, And like for me we had a lot of friends in common. And so um, I would end up at, you know, like in the studio at his show um, and, you know, just to hang out sometimes, sometimes to videotape things. But he always had like this cool sort of open door policy where it was like, you know, if you're a hard worker and you're about your business, he would entertain you um, just in, you know, like, yeah, you can hang around, you can learn some things, I'll connect you with some people um, yeah, Sway Sway and Tech, um, the Wake Up Show, and um, we also did a show called the Ten O'clock Bomb, which was incredible um, here in the Bay. Um, and that was the the footage that you see um, in the battle was um, captured during the Wake Up Show um, uh, by a close friend of mine from art school, who you know had the press of mind. Also, it was like we were it was that era where he had like a high camera. And he took it in to um, for the battle that night, you know, um, which is just amazing. It's amazing because mm. I don't I don't know if anyone else who was in that room has ever released or knows where that footage is. So uh, this is the only known footage of uh, that casual and severe battle. Um, you
1: know, and you think about it, it's kind of crazy when you talk about the battle that he had to have a video camera. Because if you think about it, in the day we live in today, everyone would have had like their cell phone and it would have been on IG Live. And yeah, they would have it, been it,
0: everyone away. would have known. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it
2: would have been everywhere. It would have been everywhere. But we're, you know, but we're talking about this was November 18th, 1994. You know?
0: Yeah. So it's like. cameras camera's kind of like expensive, expensive.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's like, if you think about that time, it's, it's not only, not only was it there, there's a process to it, but like, you know, to, to videotape it, but then also to, to hold on to the footage all that time um, is, a, is amazing. Um, but yeah, my, my friend who, you know, like uh, he, he scored the battle. He actually scored the film, but they also um, contributed the archival footage for this piece, um, Alex Asher Daniel, who uh, is an amazing visual artist uh, and uh, makes music, does a little bit of everything also, um, and yeah, he he had the presence of mind to take a camera that night, because to hear him tell it, and this was, you know, like, we, we actually became, we met each other around that time in art school, um, and uh, I remember this was very soon after the battle happened we were hanging at his place and he was like oh yo I was at the battle um, you know check out this footage and I had listened to it on the radio but I hadn't you know like there was no video of it you know but he was in the room and um, so uh, yeah he um, he played the he played the footage and this was just like footage that I knew existed from you know this was we met in 94 so this was around the time it happened i knew he had videotaped it and um, you know fast forward now to present day well i said i made i started the process of making the battle probably in 20 whew, 2013 20 around kind of spawned out of till infinity in a, in a, in a way because I had so many key elements from uh, the interviews I did for my film, uh, Till Infinity. I said, I have to tell this story uh, about the battle. And I was aware of this footage. Fast forward, I, you know, like um, Alex and I have been working you know, on various projects from that time on, from knowing each other in art school all the way up to now. And um, he worked with me on Till Infinity. And um, yeah, I hit him up and I was like, that footage you have. the battle like i've checked all over youtube i've checked in as many places as i can and no one there's only audio of this casual sphere battle like you know what do you think of putting something together around this footage that you captured and um yeah he was all for it um because you know like this is something that um that's hip-hop history and you know to to mm. share this with the world in this way, like with with both MCs, you know, I, I hadn't seen Saphir in, you know, 15 or so years up to that point. Um, and, you know, so to, to 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 catch up with Saphir and to have him tell his side of the story and um, had Kaz do his side. And it was, you know, just amazing to have them sort of recount this, uh, you know, like to to settle their differences on the microphone, it's like, what can't get any more hip hop than that, you know, it's like, that. Um, <laughs> it <was amazing. laughs> um, you know, it's like, oh, you have a problem with me, uh, battle it out on the microphone, you know, like, um, I just I love that notion, yeah. that they decided to do that. Um, and so you know, to tell that story now, I think is um, even more important than telling it then, because um,
1: mm.
2: we're we're now we're now in a time where um, the 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 true essence and elements of hip hop have um, they've evolved, they've changed, and um, it's good to uh, sort of I I would say. I would say it's 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 important for people to sort of revisit what the true elements of hip hop are really about, um, and I think that this piece really kind of displays that. It's like we're just gonna we're, we're gonna sell this on the mic, and it'll be done after that. Um,
1: and the beauty of the of of the documentary is that you know, you know, in hip hop we have this beef culture. And the the beauty of that documentary is that at the end of the day, it was just a misunderstanding. That's what it was. Can you kind of, and now everything is all love Um, after that? They were, everything was good after the whole incident, everything like that. But can you kind of talk about how it kind of all started from a misunderstanding? From what I know, was that um, uh, Casual had Sarah uh, on his track. And then he wanted casual on his track, but what happened was he's like, I guess something came up. He wasn't able to do it. He was like, oh, uh, let's, uh, can I do it another day? And he's like, nah, 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 nah. You're messing up my money, nah. And kind of, can you kind of? I know I'm kind of going everywhere about it, but can you kind of talk about what kind of that kind of caused the the battle?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was just a misunderstanding. Right. It was, it, it seems like it could have been something that could have been easily solved. Um, but uh-huh. uh, you know, it is, Is you know, like we are talking about two something year olds at the time, uh two <laughs> twenty something year old male rappers, <laughs> well, you know, like, so you're talking about egos, you're talking about uh, all these factors that can go into it. And um yeah, you know, it's, it went left. And it just it became more than um I I, I I almost, you know, like both of them both of them definitely expressed, I mean like they were friends. And um I I met I met Saphir through the Hyrule crew. So like they were they were friends um in the beginning. And so when you talk about um <laughs> how something can go left and, you know, like, really, you know, just kind of become something more than it needed to be. Like, this is definitely uh, the case. You know, it's like, I, I think about making till infinity. If if I took the approach that, you know, like, happened with, you know, how that battle ensued, like, I'd have had a bunch of people that, you know, they that couldn't make it a certain If I had, you know, gotten upset about that, you know, I'd have had to be with a bunch of people. You know, like, it's, you know, just thinking about it <laughs> in that way, it's like, you know what I mean, it's like, you know, people definitely, people definitely don't make appointments, people, you know, like, it's, and you could have a full setup and be ready and they won't make it, you know, it's like, um, but this was, I think that, you know, like, in this case, I'm glad that it didn't escalate past, um, uh, you know, a, a battle between Cruz over Mike, um, you know like it, it, for the for the most part i mean like you know you don't have a um a situation where anyone you know like got you know like significantly hurt or um you know like a uh, loss of life or anything like mm. that this was yeah yeah so it, it i think that that's um an, another moral to the story is like you know um, i think severe said something along the lines of like you know it wasn't it wasn't on the level of having to deal with it like you know he didn't have to deal with it on the street level he just wanted it to be addressed and so i think that it was the the, the perfect way it's like hey you know we have a problem mm. with each other let's just uh battle it out live
0: kind of the more mature way um in many sense of the word and also watching the footage as well shout out to um sway and tech for handling sway was sway was just like yeah and i'll stand in the middle just in case yeah keep these yeah. lots split up just so it doesn't boil over. But, I mean, this yeah. is also another reason, because for me, here in the UK, I didn't, we didn't hear about, or I didn't I wasn't aware about swaying tech until I was in my, probably about 1920s. So that's probably, yeah, like, I'm, we're talking about 2000, 2005. So, and you got thinking like, you guys where you you really like how deep was sway tech we're talking this was in the, the the sort of 90s and such so for for we only i only became aware of it because of a friend of mine who was more definitely a lot into the more underground and more obscure side of hip-hop rather than just your commercial bits and he actually put me onto this yeah the um the wake up the wake up show where you had like the Eminem freestyle um and all of that that was that collection of like you know tunes off it um i'm not going to embarrass myself because i can't remember the full listing of people who are on there but <laughs> ever since that point, I w- I wanted to like I mean Sway's definitely one of on my list if I can get we can ever get a hold of him and he's got the time for us to to you know to do something similar to this but yeah man like that's that's crazy but what I can do is say well yo thanks for you know making it bringing it to the forefront in the world you know to actually be able to physically see that so for us now especially. As hip hop's going on, and as you've mentioned before, hip hop's evolving so much. So we find that when we was talking with Ra, you know, there's a lot of cases that people are because of the generations are going. We seem to be losing a lot of the information and ways that can be handled. So now I just want to say thanks again for that, Shamari, man, for real, and bringing that to, to light to us.
1: Definitely, and then one of the, one of the big things that you know we're me and Shamari is uh, we grew up on the Boom Bob area, and in the '90s, hip hop was reg- regional. Like the only time, um, you know, you had the west coast, you had the bay, they had their radio station. You only heard stuff from the west coast, you rarely heard stuff on the east coast. If you do, you probably hear it late on the east coast. You rarely heard anything from the west coast, it was strictly east coast, and that's like nothing really in the south was going on. Really, I know they, was, they were coming up around that time, but to understand the significance of. Uh, so was a mischief that so a uh, Telefinity joint that it broke through to the East Coast. When they, people from the East Coast heard it, they thought these dudes were from the East Coast. They thought they were from New York. And when they found out they were in the Bay, that was like a culture shock. Like, yo, these dudes from the Bay? And they spitting like, they from New York? What's going on? And, it, mm-hmm. and, and the market kind of uh, um, contested that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so it, that just talks about the influence. I mean, like, of course, when hip-hop spread to, you know, everywhere, the, the first, the first, uh, I think, of, of everyone's experience, you know, like early, early on was, from it was New York hip-hop early on, um, before there were other, you know, hip-hop from other regions. And so that influence is there. You talk about, you know, the influence of Too Short and, and, what you know he was about, but then we like our our area wasn't we weren't growing up in like you know like it for example, like Tajay's parents are professors, you know, so it's like if, if your parents are are Stanford professors, how will you sound? you know, like so he's he's gonna you know like use large words, he's gonna you know like have extensive vocabulary, he's gonna um You know, like, and so I think it just reflected in um, in just the from the influences of New York hip hop, but then also um, just sort of um, being unique. It was a time to be unique um, and explore these these different um, ways of approaching hip hop. And I think like they they mixed in a bunch of different elements um, from a bunch of different places, but being lyrical. I think was at the forefront for them. They just, they, there was, this was a time where respect, respect in the culture had to be gained um, through the culture itself, as opposed to, um, you know, like a, I, like it's stuff like now, if someone has a large amount of views, that is mm-hmm. considered, that's where the respect comes from. So they have this amount of views, but it's, it's really hard like um when you talk about culturally what the impact is um, and so at that time it was about gaining respect you, sh- you showed skill um, through uh you know like how you know, like they like mcs were technicians, you know, like you talk about yeah. big Daddy Kane or like it's it's, yeah. it's like you know just this idea, hold on just a second guys. yeah, yeah. Just this idea of, um, you know, like doing, doing music <laughs> in a way where you're looking to impress. They're like, look, we want to be on the radar of, we want to be on the radar of a cane. We want to be on the radar of a rock. Kim, we, we, we want KRS to know who we are. I think that was their, I think that was their approach at that time. Um, because the respect of the east coast was an important thing
0: um, well they definitely did that to say to say the least um so much so that yeah to the infinity night like, like definitely is still uh 93 to affinity sorry to get the full full title correct it's still one of my favorite hip-hop jams of all time um when i was doing my radio shows it was one of my my easier go-tos especially on the sunday um the sundays that i had because it's just yeah it's it's like i mean it's it's hard to even place it like unless you knew that they were from oakland you would just think that they were floating from like the east coast or they're just kind of like a that kind of universal universal artist based as well so now nah, i'm mad Chat, Mash out and love for that like a hundred percent so, you she got anything else, Dad? Or, um, or, or was there anything else I was going to ask? What else can we expect from Skyfire Productions and yourself? What other, what other mysteries and hidden gems have you got in your bag?
2: Okay, yeah. It, so it's a Skyfree Productions. Just oh, Skyfree. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's tough to it's <laughs> it yeah. weird, but like um, yeah. You know, I there isn't anything. You know, like I I always um I always like to uh to uh say that you know even it there's going to be something that'll come along it'll definitely uh, speak to me that I want to get out I'd love to tell more stories um you know I'm not sure what is next film wise um I'm focusing a lot on my visual art stuff lately and so um nice. you know we we will see we will see I am uh you know always open to uh telling more stories there's so many that can be told um but i definitely i don't want to jinx anything <laughs> but i you know like um you know like i i definitely have some ideas and um when something is concrete i'd love to uh come back and share for sure
1: definitely so appreciate one more thing i want to bring up because i felt like you know i feel like it's right to bring it up you know right it's the 12th year the 12-year anniversary of the murder of Oscar Grant. Um, he died on New Year's Eve, um, I think was it, was it, uh, I don't wanna get the date wrong, but it was, you know, just having a good time, a ruckus happened and a cop killed him. Um, I know you were you lived not too far from there. Um, can you kinda talk about the significance of when that happened? And how you know when you talk about police brutality, especially with the death of uh, George Floyd uh, and a host of different names, um, can you kind of talk about from the from the past to now, and how you know how you personally feel?
2: Yeah, so um, I you know being being black in America, being being uh, an African American male. Um, in this country, is um, an experience that you cannot, you, you can, you can only relate to another African American male who has also um, navigated through this, um, because it's an experience like no other. It's like, you know, and I, I have a a twelve year old son that I have to have this talk with. I mean, I've I've had this talk with him. Because he is he's growing and he's getting bigger and it's like there's this moment when you go from being a a cute child to being a threat and um, This it's a very um, important thing to understand that you you will be treated differently solely because you are a black male in this country. And I, I can't stress enough how, um, how often daily, you know, it's, especially like before um, the pandemic, it just navigating through life, how often um, you're reminded of that even in an area where um, you know, like, this is probably one of the most diverse cities in the United States. Um, but we, we talk about how um, we're impacted, you know, like just understanding the, the role of the police and, you know, like, not, not feeling protected by the police, but more so, like, when the police are around. Like, I'm, I'm definitely not someone who fractures laws, who breaks laws. Like I'm usually, I mean, like I'm in my places of a business. When I was younger, I was in my place of a business. I was, you know, in school. Like I've always been, I've always been, um, you know, someone who has done my best to be in a positive place in life. And um, that that is a factor when you're talking about appearance alone, just just from what you know like you look like and who you are will determine how you're treated by the police. And so, you know, like while I've never fractured any laws, you know, like right, I, besides speeding, running a red light or making an illegal U-turn, you know, like those sorts of things. Um besides that, you know, like I, I haven't fractured any laws, but I've been handcuffed. I've been in the back of a police car solely because I was a young black male Um, and so when you when you talk about that dynamic and what you know like you talk about the pipeline that we are experiencing here so um, you know it's like and and this is what this is the reason why I don't fracture laws one slip up and my life is virtually over I'm, I'm it's uphill already but If I, if I go to jail in any way, then I, you know, like we're talking about employment and, and issues around that, like trying to secure a job to take care of your family or whatever that is, you, you're all, you're already in an uphill battle. So then if you add these things to, so it's like, you know, the, the things that are targeted toward us, we're talking about alcohol, drugs on every corner, right, readily available, guns are readily available it's like i can step outside of the building i'm in now and and get the those three things very easily like immediately i can get all a hold of all those three things and they're all they're all um products for negativity right because if i can't if i'm caught with any of those things on me right it's i'm headed on 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 a certain path and so um when you think about Um, the education system that has been set up here is like what the the information we've been um, given or taught so like I mentioned my junior high school and and the environment I was in part of part of the reason why I was in the library all the time is because of the the ruckus that was going on on the yard Mm. Um, you know so it's like I'm, I'm going to go to the library and I would draw and I was trying to stay on the right path. But it's like we were virtually more so than being taught, we were being babysat, you know, like um, my most important lessons and the things the things that I learned that were most valuable were handed to me by my parents. The mm-hmm. books, the most important books I've read, the, 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 the most important life lessons. Um, scholastically, these things were all passed down to me through my parents and through very, very special teachers, but the rest had their hands full um, trying to deal with children who were, you know, who had parents who were on crack or were, uh, you know, from these broken homes. And so when you, when you have this environment that you're coming from and you're entering into the world, there's only so much of a chance you have um for survival and because of these elements you know like people people are online um making comments about why you know like i i I have a um a friend who asked me you know he's from very different communities white um and um he's from he's from you know we say through the tunnel or over the hill so like you know there are a bunch of suburbs are on the other side um Um, away from Oakland and San Francisco, it's a very different environment, like in Walnut Creek and Concord, and um, he asked me, he's like, you know, well, have you ever thought about, like, he's like, why are they in this position in the first place? Like, why, you know, like, he's like, George Floyd was under the influence, and he had these things going on, like, why would he put himself in that position? And I had to, you know, but, you know, like, he's a friend of mine, and I, I feel like it's important to, give him the the realization it's like look we this is what we're fed like we don't we don't have if you don't have that opportunity in the first place you you don't you know it's not necessarily a decision you know like sometimes you know like when you're born into an environment that breeds certain things you know like you can't you can't blame the individual you have to you have to take a a look at the bigger picture and what you know like has led to this person's circumstance. It's like you know if you're if you're in a position of you know being oppressed over a certain course of time there's certain ways that people some people are going to you know drink alcohol to cope some people are going to take drugs to cope Yeah. So, so like and it's like and when it's readily available on every corner it's like there's a there's two things you see almost in every corner it's like there's a church and there's a liquor store you yeah. know it's like these are it's like you know so but most people are going to both um mm-hmm. but like you know you you talk about what's readily available for us and what's um what resources are available, and how much of a chance we have um, under those circumstances? It really starts to make the picture clearer, and it's very, very tough when um, we're as a community being geared like our our biggest, you know, like um, our you know, like some people are called to like I think the the Souls and Hyro were called to make music at a very early age, and um you know, like that, that's a beautiful thing, but that's not everyone's calling. Like we're not all wow. meant to be rappers. We're not all meant to be entertainers. We're not all meant to be athletes, but wow. we're, we're pushed into these with that. Those are our only ways out of the, of the communities that we've been born into. Uh. And so um, when, when you have this slim shot at, I mean, like who there's no way none of us are none of us are LeBron even people in the NBA are not LeBron you know so yeah. it's like when, <laughs> when you so when you talk about that and and how much of an opportunity you have to you know shoot for that dream what what is really left in 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 the aftermath of all of that right it's like even if you mm. do make it as an athlete, if you do make it as an athlete, what do you do after you age thirty? If you if you become a professional athlete, what do you do with your life after that? Um, right. So like, and the same with entertainment. It's all it's it's short lived, quick sort of ideas of success, not longevity success. Um, and so, I I definitely have an issue around and and really, really hope to see and be a part of a change around the full system of with which our communities are are growing up in. And so like, I don't, I don't know how, like, because you know, like, when you're born into it, you don't really realize what's going on until you're a certain age, you've been told or whatever, but like, you know the the dream, the dream of becoming an entertainer, an athlete, and and ducking and dodging through every obstacle, and trying to come out unscathed is almost impossible. Um, and so this is this is what we're up against. And so when we talk about um, you know, a young man like Oscar Grant, who lost his life under those circumstances. Um, it's. It is really. It's truly, truly a shame that we are. We are put into these positions of uh, disadvantage, and then we're we're hunted, almost by um, and and we are demonized by the authorities that are supposed to be that. Uh, well, quite obviously, they're not protecting us. They're protecting someone else from us. and right. um, and once once we're once that's been to perspective, and I think that culturally, like we've it's it's always kind of been there. It's always kind of an undertone um, in the narrative. but now you talk talk about what has happened here, you know, like with I don't I don't know what was, I don't know what was different. For, with um, the George Floyd um, situation, but somehow or another opened the eyes of a lot of Americans, a uh, lot of people in the United States, um, who were previously, I guess, unaware that this was going on. Do
0: you know, I think we've... Because it's been one.
2: commonplace for a long time.
0: Yeah, because I mean, this is, I mean, for, especially once you started, you start looking to peel back the layers because I'm, you know, from me growing up in the 80s, as I've mentioned before on this podcast is that I've grown up in the, the spring, the, the sugar sprinkle version of America, the TVs, the sitcoms, the, you know, the bright, the flashy, that's what we get sucked into over here. So when we think of America, especially when I was younger, is you want to be out there because it's the land of opportunity and that's where hip-hop is and you see all these great things and this is what it could be potentially like for you. But, you know, as you start peeling back and you you get these stories, you know, it starts to really show the horror story of what it is. And the main thing that I've got from my group appears from what I've understood about the George Floyd thing, is, is one, we were in a pandemic, right? So we're in a completely unprecedented time. So people are now glued to their phones and to their screens. So, no longer can you ignore it. You're already now stuck in your own feelings because a lot of people during this period of time haven't found themselves. Still, for people like us who have hobbies and interests, for us, it's like, okay, cool. So, we're supposed to step back on the burner. That gives me a little bit more time to A, find, you know, give myself a little bit of free time as well. And then I can then focus on projects or discover new things. Where now you've got a whole bunch of people who, you know, they've been taken away from their hustle and bustle so then all of a sudden you see this happening and to make it worse it was filmed for nine to ten minutes so that's the same length of what if someone who's really interested in a youtube video will watch because most people's attention spans especially on things like um instagram's only three seconds now if you're willing to go past it even the 60 second or then even furthermore to your five to ten minutes you're now that's someone who's invested into it so there's probably going to be people then now looking at it and thinking to themselves well it's not just the fact that you know it's another black person dying it's not one it's not happening in a, in a three to 60 second clip. So, you know, oh, they must have done something wrong. In this case, they can physically see the pleasure and the fact of it's happened. And then on top of that, you've now got people who haven't got, they haven't got a way to, you know, push what they are, their narrative, or they might have a, you know, and some people have it in work, they've got something they do, you know, uh, Collect money for the dogs or, you know, for the shelter of the homeless and these things. So it's now just put a massive radar onto that and eyes onto the situation. And that's just what kind of sparked the whole thing off. And I suppose it just gave them people an excuse to go out onto the streets again and kind of get a bit of freedom. So is it right that it happened? Hell no that I will definitely say that, you know, 100% was it needed to happen to get it to this actual state, not taken away from the countless of deaths and that's not even the people that have memorials. You know, we're talking like you just said being just for just being black, you being stuck in the back of a police car and that could have gone loads of different ways. And especially when you you hear about the violence um with um in this, with the um, Rodney King in like LA and that's where the first kind of visual sense of police brutality was shown was from the West Coast. So I just think it was a combination of things that just needed to happen. Um, And that was kind of just a spark, which was necessary for the conversations to happen. What I don't appreciate is the whole narrative again, it's like, oh, it's not going to happen overnight and this is going to have to be now a longer based conversations, but at least it does give us a little bit of leeway. So, you know, the stuff, you know, it's like you said. It's like how do we change the system? Because you've got the whole sports thing on your side, and it's pretty much similar to us over here. It's more with football, I suppose. And um, to being like even like a grime MC um, or an artist or an entertainer, you'll find more more people of um, you know. Was well, we call it, BAME, Black Asian Minority Ethnics, a lot of us want to be more on the entertainment side, so in the sense of being presenters and, you know, journalists and things of that nature, because it kind of, you get a bit more of a different sway and you don't get, you know, bucketed as much. But you're right, for us, there isn't much opportunities at all. You're literally fighting a whole bunch of people for a very small slit to end, you know, to try and end up somewhere where you're not stuck in a, in a poverty-based situation, you know? So that's just my two pence on it.
1: Amen to that, brother. <laughs> you speak it to the choir, <laughs> but Shamari, brother. Man, I, I I, thank you, King. I thank you for taking the time to be up and early with us. <laughs> 7 yeah, o'clock appreciate it, so, I appreciate <laughs> you, man. Um, um, hopefully, if the planets line right, um. That um, you know, you probably do a, a documentary on Oscar Grant because I felt like his story hasn't been told. I know they did the, the movie version a long time ago, but I think um, his story needs to come out and what's going on right now because I know the family's trying to reopen up the case. Um, I think in this, I think that was in December, so I think it, in this current state, I think that story is 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 more irrelevant more than ever today
2: yeah yeah absolutely um they, i i do believe that there have been a few reports uh, in the past week i've seen you know uh, our local news around the family and uh, i believe it's oscar grant's uncle who has been um the, the spokeper- spokesperson for the family and um it, it seems like they are um they they just they want accountability um, from uh, the Bart police who were involved, and it it looks like um, only one of the officers um, has been charged at this point. And it was I am I'm, I'm not sure the circumstances, but um, you know the the family is is looking for justice, and uh, you know we just hope that. Uh, they can, they can receive what
1: they're you know, looking for. And the only way we to give do is just keep on telling that story, man. But again, my brother, I love you. Thank you for being on episode two of the No Name Podcast. Thank you.
0: Thanks very much for that, Shumray. So, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, especially if you stay with us to this end. So, peace, love, and all that good stuff. And we got much more coming your way. Peace.
1: Peace. Thank